Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. pretty much figured out their roster we're ready to start the season this episode of bucks in the basement brought to you by shopyins.com it is one brand for three different franchises in pittsburgh uh, you know rock the y and, and all the other gear that they have check out the link in the show notes or go to shopyins.com my friend any surprises that really knocked you off your chair off your bar stool here uh about what the pirates are taking to Pittsburgh? No, the only one that was kind of in question a little bit would probably have been G1 Bay just because, you know, he hadn't been performing too well in spring training. But that kind of goes back to what Ben Sherrington's been saying this entire time is that, you know, Jack Sawinski's been striking out at a, you know, massive <laughs> clip here. But they're saying you can't overlook those 19 home runs that he had during the last season. Well, they're, I think they're also saying you can't look past what G1 Bay did in AAA last year. He was pretty much, you know, the best hitter on the team in almost every category. So it's not, it's saying, you know, what else could he learn in AAA? There's, there's really not a whole lot of anything for him to work on. So it's either, you know, sink or swim at this point in time. I think that's a pretty good move there. I thought once they picked up Mark Mathias, it could have been him. Uh, as a backup infielder outfielder, but it looks like it's it's going to be Bay, uh, Kanan Smith and Jigba. They said there was a competition. Everybody assumed it was you know a three man competition with Sawinski, Swaggerty, and Smith and Jigba, and it turned out that it was just between Swaggerty and Smith and Jigba. They both performed uh, during spring training, but if you look back to last season, Smith and Jigba would have gotten the call up and did get the call up before Travis Swaggerty. So it's it's going a lot on reputation and not not really any surprises. Jason Delay, backup catcher, not really super important. Good for Jason Delay. Thought it was probably going to be Tyler Heineman after uh, Kevin Ploicki uh, opted out once he found out he wasn't going to make the opening day roster. But yeah, it's a backup catcher to Austin Hedges, who are both, you know, holding the line until Andy Rodriguez is called up at some point during this season. You know, a couple of names stick out to me who didn't make the team. And the one right at the top of the list is when, when he was acquired in July of 21, I thought Tucapita Marcano was going to be on this roster by the start of 2023. And I thought that I would have a much better player that had burst onto the roster and was ready to go. Right. I mean, remember when we acquired him, we're like this guy, this guy could be something and, and not so much yet. 
And Ben Charrington wanted him because he tried to get him twice. He tried to get him in, in the offseason trade and then ended up, you know, getting him with, with, the, with the Adam Frazier deal. So, I mean, they, you know, really wanted him. And, you know, San Diego, I, I know that they weren't at the point they are now, you know, with the amount of money they're spending. But he had made, you know, their opening day roster, you know, the previous year. So, I really expected more from him. I knew he was, I know a lot of people called him like Adam Frazier light, wasn't ever going to be like a heavy hitter, but he kind of has a similar makeup to Bay. Bay just kind of does it better. So I guess that would have been, you know, another one of those battles. Yeah, but Marcano just, even like last year, he started off the year in double A in left field. And just, yeah, he's just not really done that great. So he's kind of fallen out of favor. That's that's that one's a little bit of a surprise, but yeah. But other than that, I mean, Travis Swaggerty didn't do anything really to get sent down. Performed fairly well, and it's it's more of a, a numbers game at this point in time. And we'll see him, you know, during this season. Cal Mitchell was sent down super early, and he's a guy that got a long look last year. So, I mean, I think Cal Mitchell now has to fight his way up through Smith and Jigba and Swaggerty. If he's yeah, he's got to he's got to fight through. That's obvious. Yeah. To, you know the guy. The thing that really sticks out to me as well is when I look at the rotation, especially with Brew Baker down now, and we kept saying uh, you already had a spot that was there for the taking. If you were good enough, you could take Vince Velasquez's spot. If it, you could, if you were a young player, you are not being blocked. If you came in and wowed everybody in spring training, you could have taken that spot. Well, you could have definitely taken the spot left over by Brubaker, but I don't see Ortiz going with the team. And and so I, I kind of laugh when people say that sometimes guys are getting blocked. Who got blocked in this rotation if Oviedo is going to be the fifth starter? Nobody. Nobody got blocked, really. And, I mean, Luis Ortiz ended up going to the World Baseball Classic, wasn't stretched out, but, you know, so did Rowanzi Contreras. And he's not going to be, I don't think, fully stretched out at this point in time. So that's where, to me, like the Brubaker injury, yeah, nobody was blocked. But before we get on the show here, Chris, I said the thing about the Brubaker injury that just I kind of worry about now is that I was hoping Oviedo would make the team. I was hoping that Oviedo would be almost like a regularly scheduled you know, long man that he would be going at least, you know, four to five innings once a week, because we know that, you know, at the beginning of the year, the number of guys that are going to go, and especially with the Pirates, because not too many guys have done that. You've got maybe Keller, Rich Hill, if he's, if he's got it going and Rowanzi was another guy, but if Rowanzi's not stretched out, then you could have put Oviedo in behind him uh, to kind of save the bullpen. If Velasquez got into trouble, you could have put him maybe in behind him during the next wave, uh, you know, through the rotation. And now at this point in time, you've got five guys and then you've got a decent amount of question marks in the bullpen, man. It's going to be a long stretch in April because they only have two days off. I'm I'm really curious to see how that bullpen looks and how like worn out they are after that first month of the season. Well, you know what? Let's play a fun game for just a moment here. Because this is what it's like to be a Pirates fan. You're just every week opening up the transaction page and somebody's coming up from the minor leagues and getting a shot. I don't think it's going to happen as much this year. I think that they're they're finally trying to solidify something, win more games, and make it so that if you're going to make it to the major leagues, you earned it. 
or an injury caused it, but then you still have to earn your spot and get up there and see if you can stick at this point. It's not it's not going to be a, a merry-go-round of players coming up and down and up and down. I don't believe that. But who is the first significant player from the minor leagues who joins this team in the majors in 2023? Is it Endy? Who, who, who do you think? Is it is it from the pitching side? Who do you think is the first person to come walking through the door and stick in 2023 because this this roster will be different at the end of the year I think that I think it's going to be a pitcher honestly and and I have two options here and one of them's a a starter and the other one's a reliever and the one is now just been moved to a reliever so Mike Burroughs is probably number one Mike Burroughs looked awesome in spring training Uh, he already had like pretty much one of the best curveballs in the system developed a slider during the offseason has a, a great fastball, good changeup. So I could see him hitting, you know, his stride for the first month of the season in Indianapolis and and possibly getting a call up, especially, you know, if a Velasquez is struggling, if an Oviedo is struggling, if there would happen to be, you know, a blister on, on Rich Hill's hand, which is one of the main reasons he's ever missed time over the past few years. And he gets those just because of the types of pitches that he throws. I mean, I think they're just kind of natural to his hand. And plus, are you surprised that Burroughs didn't break with the camp then? So Oviedo could stay in the role that you envisioned him in. I, I would, I would have been surprised with Burroughs. I uh, just because he is one of the top prospects. And even like as a pitcher, I guess they could have brought him up and done, done what they did to, you know, Rolanzi last year and started him out, sent him back down I think they want to control, you know, the timeline and the service time for like some of these kids. So I'm not really surprised in that aspect. Do I think he could have, I think he could have possibly, you know, broken camp with the team. If I would have had to choose between, you know, him and Oviedo who had the better camp. I mean, it's not that Oviedo had a a terrible camp, but man, Mike Burroughs just looked real good. So, I mean, I would think that's why I'm saying like probably about a month into the season, but, but another guy who I, you know, is Carmen Majinski. I, I mentioned him uh, last week, talked about him a decent amount with Jason Mackey, was that, you know, he was a guy that had been envisioned if people were making out their rotations. And I know that's a silly exercise at times, but say for like 2025, I mean, it would have been like, you know, Rowanzi, uh, Burroughs, Priester, and, and they would also be, you know, discussing Carmen Majinski in that mix. Uh, but he's kind of been moved to a bullpen role. And with the state of the bullpen, I mean, we saw Dwayne Underwood Jr. go down with an injury, you know, in the first <laughs> I think game or second game of the, the year last year that actually ended up bringing Rowanzi up, you know, north with the, the ball club. But, I mean, I could see him coming into that because, I mean, he's probably been working the entire offseason to be a starter and – you know, is moved into that relief role, but could probably be a guy that could still go like two, three innings or something, almost like how they've asked, you know, Dwayne Underwood Jr. to go. And Majinski's a guy they're going to have to make a decision on this year because he becomes, you know, Rule 5 eligible and a part of a large group. I mean, I, those are kind of guys that if you're going to, you know, try something, I would, I would want to see at the major league level to see if he can be, you know, a reliever in the major league. So I think that you're probably going to see a pitcher first. I think it's going to take, I, I I know we had a discussion about this, Chris, and, you know, 
I know you were probably a little bit disappointed in my answer or what I thought, or maybe a little bit angry with my answer was, I mean, I know that everybody's looking at like, you know, the year of, of control with Indy and, and then looking for the, the super two with him as well. But I mean, my thing is that I, I see him, you know, maybe more towards, I don't know, the, the middle of July or something, or maybe even like right after the all-star break or something with him. So I, I, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what they do. They just want to get him a ton of reps at catching and just make sure that when he comes up, I think their goal would be for him to be the actual starter and for Hedges to be the backup and have Andy going, you know, five days a week behind the plate and having Hedges kind of fill in at that point in time, just based on what they're saying is having Andy as the full-time catcher in AAA and Henry Davis as the the full-time catcher in double a i think they're they're not going to bring him up here and and say okay well you can play all these other positions so you're going to be a backup and then i think they're going to let him roll with it so that's why i'm thinking that you won't even have to really worry about super two which there's no definitive date on it but usually around like you know beginning of first week of july you see those guys start to get called up but i think they might even just play it even safer and he might just come up after the all-star break well, the thing is, I, I'm really curious as to how they'll bring him along when he does get here, because I've seen other teams do some interesting things with catcher prospects that have some versatility that you can put someplace else. Like William Contreras for the Braves didn't come right up and take the catcher position. He played probably more outfield and D, and, and DH than, than he played uh, the, the catcher position. Then he gets traded off to the Brewers. Uh, MJ Melendez with the Royals playing the outfield and in fact his his manager saying he's going to play more right field this year than anything because he's got Sal Perez still blocking him but he's the eventual guy who's going to be their catcher one day so I it, you know it's not a direct path to catcher and we know Rodriguez can play in several different positions you know so I it, it will be it will be interesting to watch him and the other the other name that I'm just wait I want to see what he does in AAA I want to see what Quinn Priester does we've got four prospects on the MLB pipeline top 100 list as the season starts and Quinn's one of them in AAA. And you just uh, you just, I want to see how he does. I'm not in a hurry. I don't want them to I don't want them to ever bring him up to eat too early like they did with Mitch Keller cuz they messed with Mitch Keller up and down and up and down. But he is somebody that while I'm watching the big league team, I'll be watching the minor leagues as well. Yeah, Quinn is is a guy that like I said, I, I want to see exactly what, what type of pitcher he's decided to be. And and we know he's going to be a good pitcher. It's just depending on whether or not he's going to be the blow, blow past you, fastball kind of guy up in the zone, or if he's going to be the sinker contact guy. Or maybe he could end up being a mix of both, which we've kind of seen with Keller during this spring training. The man has 20 strikeouts and only one walk uh, during during this time in you know the limited spring training innings. So maybe just developing some more of those pitchers. I see Quinn uh, probably as that cup of coffee guy, maybe gets a few starts at the end of the year, kind of like, you know, like Ortiz did last year. Um, But that's also going to depend on, you know, how Burroughs performs, how Ortiz performs down there. Because it's not a guarantee, you know, if Ortiz doesn't develop that third pitch, I mean, his, his path to the bullpen 
maybe uh, in pretty quick order because there's a decent amount of guys. Like I said, you're moving a Carmen Majinski, who could have been a legitimate starter, in my opinion, to the bullpen. Uh, Kyle Nicholas is staying as a starter, but he may end up starting the season, you know, down in double A is, is something that's been talked about. So, I mean, there's going to be legitimate competition at triple A at the majors and guys pushing from double A up to triple A. So it's, things are going to get very interesting. That's why I'm, I'm glad I have the, the MILB TV or the first pitch app so I can actually watch you know, some of those games, because I'm going to be watching probably almost as many Indians games as I'm watching Pirates games. Well, listen, I'm glad that we have you on Bucks in the Basement, because I think you cover the minor leagues better than anybody. Like, you really do pay attention to every little nuance of it, and you're not reading a report. You're you're literally scouting them. You're going out and watching games. You're speaking to personnel. You're speaking to other scouts. You're, like, on top of this stuff, and you've been on top of it for years now, and, and we're lucky we have you. I, I do want to jump on a point that you made there before we get into the rest of the show because I know you want to do, like, some predictions and look at stuff that's, that may or may not happen this year and, and try to kind of guess you know, what the Pirates are going to do and what would make you happy as a Pirates fan. But when you talk about Quinn Priester and what kind of pitcher he's going to be, the first thing that popped into my head, and it's only because he's on my fantasy baseball team, a team that wins all the time while your team sits at the bottom of the league, and and I've read some stuff on him, Dylan Cease of the White Sox. Like, in fantasy terms, he's got all these red flags, like he's not going to be the same fantasy pitcher this year because he's not going to strike out as many guys because his strikeout rate dropped. And I looked into it, and here's a guy who was in the Cy Young voting, who was a guy who was like, blow that fastball by you, strike that guy out. But he also has a poem about his slider. He loves his slider. And what he's learned now is that strikeouts may be really cool, but he can go longer in games if he doesn't always go for the strikeout. He became more of a two-contact pitcher while still having that arsenal and being able to rear back. That's the pitcher development. Like, development isn't linear, but if a pitcher is going to become great, and you want a guy to eventually be great, like Quinn Priester could be a one or a two in your rotation, he has to not only figure out how to use the pitches he has, but he's going to come up, and he may start blowing guys away. That doesn't mean that when he finally evolves into a superstar that you're afraid will leave one day because your owner is cheap and wouldn't be able to afford him and you're just trying to enjoy him while you have him, but you're happy you have him at the top of your rotation. When he gets to that point, he may be a guy who understands sometimes it's contact, sometimes it's blow him away. He's still got a long way to go, but he's going to be an interesting guy to watch this year. Definitely, and, and I, I'll say this again because I, I don't know where I said it or whether I, where I wrote it. Is when I was down in Bradenton, they gave the they gave the uh, minor leaguers the day off on Sunday, and there was one man out there still working and still running the sprints and playing with the plyo balls and and everything that you would be doing, and that was Quinn Priester, and he was out there working. Yeah, that guy wants to play, and he was out there working for man for like two hours. Yeah, that guy that guy wants to play. That 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 he's one of the reasons why I, I brought him up in the show. There was no reason for me to bring him up. I just I wanted to get to him at some point. He he didn't make the roster, but that guy wants to play. I, I'm anxiously awaiting his arrival uh, with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I I would imagine this time next year he's in the rotation. That's what I believe. If everything goes well, I want to see him in the five man rotation next year. Break camp with the team and let and let's go. All right. I mean, like that's and I think I would hope that the Pirates are, are looking forward to that as well. And like like you said, I think he gets a cup of coffee this year. I think you'll see him at some point. 
All right, let's let's talk about this season. They lost 100 games last year. Yeah. Do you think that they're going to do that this year? Because I don't. In fact, my expectation for this team is that they should be challenging to be as close to 500 as possible. A 500 season is bang the drum and be happy because things are turning around and you're building and you got these other prospects moving along. You're going to see some guys come up and you start to get excited about Pittsburgh Pirates baseball and what they can do in 2024. But you don't just flip a switch and go from 100 losses to challenging for a division title or making the playoffs as a wild card. You have to have a season where you get a bunch more wins and you are close to, if not at, 500. That's what I want. Am I crazy? Nah, I wouldn't say you're crazy. I mean, you're crazy for other reasons, Chris, but not because of that. You're. <laughs> it's the island, right? It's the island where the billionaires are on. That's that's the crazy that's, part. That's just the crazy part. When your mind goes to that type of different <laughs> stuff, that's that's when I know that you're crazy. But no, I mean, I'd be looking for. I mean, a lot of people they equate it to you know what we did last time. And so to a degree, I would look towards those, those 2011, 2012 seasons where you were at or above 500, a decent chunk into the season. And even if you fall off, you know, a little bit, or even if you fall off a lot, then maybe you finish a few games under 500. My, my top end for them this year, just because it, it would be an improvement and it would be so much of an improvement. I'm thinking that the top of the mountain for them is probably around like 74 to 75 wins, which if they made that improvement would, I mean, it, it would be, it'd be great. I mean, that's a 15 game improvement. That's not something right. at the drop of a hat, but I also think the bottom of it, you know, could still be, you know, under 70 wins, a 68, 69, or maybe even, you know, just topping out there at 70 wins I'm disappointed with less than seven. Yeah, and, and I am. I know. I know somebody's going to sit there and say, "Well, I, you know, I mean, how, what what makes you think that they can do better than that?" I, I think they can do better than that. There, there's there's teams even in their own division they can match up against this year, right? I mean, they could beat the Reds. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't see, I don't see. There's not as many world beaters. Look, you're going to run into teams that are really good, and they're gonna they're going to be outclassing you on the field this year. But there's, there's teams that are worse. And learn to win against the teams that are bad. That's, you know, start winning baseball. You got to get a winning attitude in, in there first before you start actually competing, winning games, and start talking about that next chapter where we're no longer talking rebuild and prospects, but we're talking what are we doing in the NL Central? Wouldn't that be great to have that conversation one day on this show? It'd be amazing. I, I've been waiting for it. I mean, we're going into covering them for what is this, like our, our fourth season or something? Or I know. Long time. Yeah. Long so time. It's, it's just something. I've aged greatly. <laughs> <laughs> Your beard is grayer. Like, I like it. It's like things are good. Things are just, wow. Like, it wouldn't that be just an amazing thing? Like, let's talk about, like, individual, individual performances. Okay. Like, like, is there like when I look at this team and I look at what guys did, like O'Neill Cruz can't go back out this year and have a 744 OPS, and he won't. He's going to be good. Cabrian Hayes looks like he's hitting this year. I, I mean, I've read some national publications that are pointing out that watch out for him. He seems to have made a change. I, I think if you get that guy coming out and and putting up big offensive numbers to go with his defense, and O'Neill Cruz takes the next step. And you right right then and there, you're going to see big differences in the results for this team because this team will start to 
put together an offense. Yeah, because Chris, I think that it was after the the island episode. I you said I was on mushrooms or something when I talked about aliens coming down and abducting us and taking us to yeah yeah that was to, weird. to like Westworld or something. But, it, but the reason for that was if we just looked at stats at the end of the season to to show that the rebuild was progressing. Um, I kind of looked at it, at it in th- that fashion again, maybe not in such a crazy way, but just saying, you know, who has to do better. And, and I keep Ryan Hayes was the number one thing that I looked at. And I was going to look at, if I had to look at the end of the year at two numbers for Brian Hayes, I was going to look at his OPS plus because his OPS plus has been sitting around like 87, 88 over the past two seasons. And, and we've, which means he's below average. He's below yeah. average. 100 being average. So we said that even if he could just get up to 100 and just be an average hitter, you know, what he could do. The the other thing that I'm going to look at that I think that I may even look at before OPS Plus is I'm going to look at his launch angle. Because what we've seen, and we've talked about this, you can go back and listen to previous episodes like way, way back in the beginning. And even during, you know, 2020, during the pandemic, and I was talking about, you know, when K. Brian Hayes came up and he lit the world on fire. I was like, well, I never expected this because his launch angle was always so bad in the minors. He always hit the ball hard and he always hit it straight into the ground. Last season, K. Brian Hayes, his, his launch angle on average was a 5.2. The average of Major League Baseball players is a 12.1. So it basically means that he's hitting the ball Hard as crap because he's like in the 80-some percentile in hard hit and exit velocity. And he's hitting it straight like <laughs> into the ground. So if he fixes that launch angle and it's something that, you know, everybody was saying he bulked up, you know, during the offseason. He did and that's great. But it's not like he needed to hit the ball harder and add more power. But the one thing I did notice, especially in some of those videos, was him working on getting the bad head out in front of the plate and out in front of the ball. And that's what's creating the launch angle. I think who was it? It was, uh, what's Bo Bichette's dad? I can't think of his name right. Dante Bichette. Dante Bichette Bichette has a great video. If you search it on on YouTube or something like that, and he explains launch angle. And it, it was basically like, no, you don't swing under the ball. You keep your same swing, and it's the path like of where your bat meets it, and that creates the launch angle. So you saw like a Brian Hayes trying to like work on his bat speed to get you know the head of the bat out. Um, so if he does stuff like that, Brian Hayes, I'm looking at launch angle. I'm looking at OPS. If that OPS plus is over a hundred, if it's over league average, man, you're talking about a five and a half six WAR player at minimum. Well, here's the thing. I I read this article this week on CBS Sports. Scott White put it out. The 25 winners and losers in spring training. You know, guys that you could, you saw noticeable differences in. Five of them were losers. There were no pirates on that. 20 winners on this list, two of them pirates. Cabrian Hayes was one of them. He wrote, Cabrian has been turning on the ball better this spring helping him to get more power out of his premium exit velocities. Isn't that funny? This was actually written someplace you didn't even know about this. <laughs> Manager Derek Shelton credits improved timing for helping him put bo- put the ball in the air. It's right there. The other guy, by the way, is Mitch Keller. Mitch Keller was on the list of guys who had a, a, a great spring. Yet another pitcher for whom adding a cutter may be the key to rounding out his arsenal, Mitch Keller, 
threw the pitch 42% of the time in his latest spring. Uh, latest spring start, so that's the last start. It wasn't for all the spring. Latest spring start. It was responsible for six of his 12 strikeouts on just 77 pitches. So Mitch Keller is somebody that I'm looking at this year. You want to talk about individual performance and what I'm expecting from someone. It's time for Mitch Keller to take the step and finally be what we've been waiting for through the ups and the downs, and I think he could do it. A guy who went 5-12 and last year but had an ERA of 3.91 and had a walks and innings, walks and hits per innings pitched, a whip of 1.396. That's what's got to drop. His FIP is reasonable at 3.88. His ERA is reasonable. If he can keep guys off base... And, th- and that's something that he was doing this spring, keeping guys off base. We could see him pitch near 200 innings this year and have a monster year. His whip in the spring, by the way, 0.96. That's that's like a closer, but it's a starting pitcher that was doing it. He comes out and comes anywhere near that. He's a star. And you got a guy sitting at the top of your rotation for years to come. And, Chris, you just pointed out what I would look, look for for Mitch Keller because even when Mitch Keller – you know, came back from being, you know, regulated to the relegated to the the bullpen. I I guess that would have been in you know mid May. He came back and his WHIP uh, for the rest of the year was still a one point three four, which that's a back of the rotation guy. I mean, we've talked about this like a one three one. We have, and and that's great. But like you're saying, if he could, I would look at that, and if that's anywhere in like the one 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 two or just even below one three. I mean, just look at, like, how well he could do. And even we looked at the fifth there, it was 3.69 for his last, you know, stretch of starts toward the end of the season. So, yeah, I mean, if he gets that whip down, man, watch out. So that's like the second thing. I'm looking at the OPS plus for Brian Hayes, launch angle for Brian Hayes. I'm looking at the whip for Mitch Keller. And I do have one more thing that I'm going to look at. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at Jack Sawinski's strikeout rate because that man was striking out so much, and that's going to determine whether or not he stays a starter on this team. Well, yeah, he's going to be interesting to watch. You know, I was looking at you, – you mentioned OPS Plus, right? And I was looking at last year guys who are returning. There were only two guys that were over 100, and 100 is an average. O'Neill Cruz is at a 107, and, of course, Brian Reynolds at a 126. Um, and, and then, you know, you could say Jiwon Bay because <laughs> – <laughs> because because in a, in a very limited time he had a 136 OPS plus but but you know otherwise the guy who came really close was Zawinski and if he could just cut down on the strikeouts and put the ball in the play a little bit more to where he's not hitting 202 and you see him just take a natural progression he's an everyday player on this team and you, and you don't you don't worry about him. You start watching for other guys to lose their job and somebody coming up and taking somebody else's place. If he comes out and does what he did last year, he won't last to the All-Star break. They'll replace him, I think. I think they would kind of have to. And, and it, I, I look back to when he first showed up uh, with the Pirates, you know, 2021 in AA after coming over from San Diego. I mean, he still had like a decently high K rate. He's, he's always had something you know, that's, that's in the upper 20s usually. Uh, maybe the lowest would be like right below 25%. But it was also like the walk rate was like up around like 13%, 16.9%. And 
And that's what gets his like WRC plus. That's what gets his his OPS. That's what gets it, you know, over that threshold. And he kind of needs to go back to that. And it to me, it seems like he is selling out in some ways power over over contact. It, and I don't know if that's been, you know, I and he's got a completely new stance this year, so I don't even know if that plays into it as much. But yeah, I mean, it just kind of seemed like that he, everybody loves the home runs. You don't want to give up those 19 home runs, but you also can't have, you know, the, the strikeout rates that he had last year. I mean, he was up over 30%. Uh, when he went back down to AAA, he was up around like 37%. I mean, I know it's spring training, but I, I'm pretty sure it's it's been like 40, 50, and 60%. Like, he has just been striking out a lot. And if that continues, I mean, that's where, like, Jack has to know, guess what? Kanan Smith and Jigba made this team, and Travis Swaggerty almost made this team. So there's going to be somebody that that's pushing back there. I'd like to see him go a little bit more contact over power. And if that's still in there with him, because I think that it, it makes him a, a more complete player. You may not see the you know 25 to 30 home run potential, but I think you see a more well-rounded ball player. And that's why I would look at his K numbers. But Chris, do you know what though, man? I mean, even if he strikes out and they, they stink, at least when I go home, I'm going to think, man, I had a great time at that ball game, even though my team lost <laughs> and I can't wait to go back. Who said that again? Travis Williams, man. He said, Oh, that's brilliant. Next time. Just say win or lose, right? Like, I mean, don't they have a PR person that talks to him about how he's going to say things before he, he gets in front of anybody. Just next time say win or lose. You're going to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to point out if my team lost, Man, I can't wait to go back because those hot dogs and pretzels were awesome. Right. Nothing like showing up to the ballpark with it, an expectation it. of losing. Wonderful job. <laughs>